Our pericope of scripture this morning is from the Psalms, Psalm 115. Contrasted in this psalm is the one true God, our God in Christ Jesus, over against all kinds of idols that others serve. Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their trust and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither they that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Praise the Lord. This morning we look at the second part of Lord's Day 34. We covered questions 92 and 93 last week with the theme, Oh, how love I thy law. And now questions 94 and 95, the first commandment. What doth God enjoin in the first commandment? That I, as sincerely as I desire the salvation of my own soul, avoid and flee from all idolatry, sorcery, soothsaying, superstition, invocation of saints or any other creatures, 
and learn rightly to know the only true God, trust in him alone, with humility and patience submit to him, expect all good things from him only, love, fear, and glorify him with my whole heart so that I renounce and forsake all creatures rather than commit even the least thing contrary to his will. Question 95. What is idolatry? Idolatry is instead of or besides that one true God who has manifested himself in his word to contrive or to have any other object in which men place their trust. May God bless the preaching of his word again this morning. We ended our sermon last Sunday morning saying the Lord puts boundaries around his people just as the farmer puts boundaries around his cattle. Those fences keep those cattle in those green pastures to eat and keep them safely from the roads nearby where they might be struck and killed. So God puts his people, those whom he has redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, also in a boundary wherein they can be blessed and happy and safe. The boundary now set before us as his people is who we worship. And then second commandment, how we worship him. But first of all, in this commandment, who we worship. And how beautifully the catechism begins that answer, that I. As sincerely as I desire the salvation of my soul... I serve him. Is my life, ask yourselves this question as I do myself, is my life God-centered? Not self, not family, not sports, not materialism, not our work, but is my life God-centered? Do I acknowledge this God in my life? Do I acknowledge him in my joys, in my struggles, in the temptations that bombard us, in my thoughts, in my plans, in my desires, in my activities? Do I acknowledge him? Do I live for him? The psalmist says, Psalm 63, Thou art my God, O God of grace, and earnestly I seek thy face. My heart cries out for thee. God demands to be acknowledged. To be acknowledged as God alone, to be acknowledged as our God. 
So we're going to look at the boundary of who we worship. First of all, what is commanded? Second of all, what is forbidden? And then thirdly, what is all involved in this commandment? First of all, positively, what is commanded? And, the song, and right away our catechism says that we rightly know God. That we rightly know God. John 17, verse 3, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Oh, that we might rightly know him, God has revealed himself to us. For man of himself cannot attain to a knowledge of God. Never can we comprehend him, but we can have a knowledge and an understanding of him because he has revealed himself. He came down from heaven and revealed himself every day in our creation around us. What does the psalmist say, boys and girls, in Psalm 19? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. When we wake up in the morning and through the day, do we allow this creation to speak to us of our the great glory and the power of our God? For as John Calvin said, the creation is a most eloquent book. But we need eyeglasses, don't we, to know everything about our God? For if we look at this creation, not only is it a beautiful creation, but we also notice it is a creation that has been cursed. That is, there is misery. There is sin in this world. There's death in this world. There's sickness. How come? We need to go past creation to God's revelation of himself in his precious word. But how powerful is that revelation of God in creation? We read in Romans chapter 1, Verse 18 and following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like make, made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness 
to the lust of their own heart, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. What a testimony there. God's Godhead and glory and power are clearly seen, but mankind, because of sin, turns that truth into ungodliness. Rather than worshiping him, they make images. And that's why we need the scriptures. So that we may know why there is this sin and misery in this world. It wasn't created that way, but because of sin. And so from the scriptures, we re reveal, it's revealed to us not only the problem here in the world, the nature of our misery, but also God's wonderful salvation. He reveals himself as the Redeemer God. The only God, the sovereign God, but the God also who has sent his Son into this world to save sinners. Over and over, that truth is emphasized. I am the only God. Besides me, there is no other. As we read in Scripture, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubim, thou art the God, even thou alone. And there is no God like unto him. Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. How beautifully that power is set forth, that revelation of our God. And yet, Psalm 2, we read, the heathen rage and imagine a vain thing. The heathen set themselves, they take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then we read in Psalm 2, he who sits in the heavens laughs. And then comes the call at the end of the psalm, be wise, O kings. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing and with trembling. Many refuse to worship God. They refuse to acknowledge his sovereignty. And yet the first commandment teaches this. He is God and God alone. He reveals himself not only as the one true God, but he reveals himself in his word as the covenant God. The God who has redeemed us, the God who has taken us out, separated us from all the rest of humanity to be his peculiar people and his friends. That means, beloved, that then we are to acknowledge him, to confess him, to confess him with the words of our mouth, but also to confess him with a life that is lived for him. Romans 10, verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Or again, Matthew 10, verse 32. Whosoever there shall, for con shall confess me before men, 
Him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. 1 Kings verse 18, chapter 18, verse 39. May we be able to say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The one true God. Almighty and righteous, but also very merciful so that we love him. We love him irresistibly. He comes and he reveals himself, and how can it be but that those who are chosen by God and given to Christ Jesus and dwelt with the Holy Spirit fall on their knees and worship and love him. Love him, as we said in our prayer, as some do, more than their life here on earth. They fear him. Deuteronomy 28, verse 58 that thou mightest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. What does that mean? It means that we adore him. We stand in reverence of him. We do not take his name easily upon our lips to blaspheme, but rather we confess he is our God. It means that we always have him before our eyes. The psalmist says in Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. God knows. God sees. God judges. God examines all that we do. Have we? Set the Lord before our eyes always. Do we have such an awe of our God in our hearts so that we fight sin daily in our lives? As we read in the scriptures, stand in awe and sin not. Psalm 4 verse 4. Think of Joseph when he was tempted away from family, away from home, all alone there in Egypt as a God-fearing young man. And yes, the woman tries to tempt him, and he says, how shall I do this great wickedness and sin against the Lord? Oh, that we would have that verse written before our eyes at the beginning of the day so that it would remain there throughout the day. When we're tempted and we're tried, how shall I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? What is commanded? That we rightly know him. And second of all, that we trust him. That we trust him alone. Against the psalmist, Psalm 141, verse 8 my eyes are unto thee, O Lord, my God, in thee is my trust. Relying upon God's power and God's love. Trusting him at all times. Boys and girls in catechism, we've gone through several of the kings of Israel, haven't we? 
And whether it was wicked kings or even at times godly kings, rather than placing their trust completely in their God when the enemies came against them, King Ahaz. King Ahaz did not want to trust that the Lord would deliver him from the Syrians. He would not seek a sign from God. And even good King Hezekiah, who loved the Lord, when Assyria came against him, he tried to make a league with them, giving treasures from the house of God to him. We are called to trust in this God. Though with a weakness of our faith at times, we turn from the unseen God to the things that we can see. May we say with a psalmist, Psalm 56, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. It means that we not only trust then, for notice what the catechism says here, not instead of, but also besides the Lord. And we've got to ask some questions about that. Is our trust absolutely and alone in the Lord, or do we place other things beside him or next to him in our lives? It means, beloved, that there is a childlike submission to God. We obey his commandments. We cannot acknowledge him if we don't know him rightly we cannot love him whom we do not know we cannot fear him whom we do not know we cannot trust the one that we do not intimately know how this first commandment is broken sinned against by those who don't diligently attend the means of grace. For it is the preaching of the gospel with the word opened up that God reveals himself to us in all his glory, righteousness, and his love and mercy. That's why we have the societies that meet during the week. That's why we have the catechism classrooms for our children. That's why we have Christian schools for our young people as well as our young children. That they might rightly know God and stand in awe of him. This commandment is broken by those who do not diligently instruct their covenant children in the home in the church, and in our Christian schools. We must rightly know God with a, an expectation, a happy expectation. All good things come from him. And that God works all things, whether it be the good things in our life, those things that we call good, but also the evil things, that is, the trying things, the sickness and the pain, the hospitalizations. God works all things for good. 
And that means beloved. And we're going to get to that at the end of the sermon again. That we put forth our effort. That we may acquire an increasing measure of that knowledge of our great God. May we say with the psalmist, there is no God like unto our God. May we be persuaded of that in our hearts. May it be confessed by our tongues. May it be subscribed to by our hands and by our feet and our lives. That we worship him in truth. That we love, that we fear, that we glorify God. That must be the fruit of knowing our God. Done with the whole heart, not half-heartedly, not just once in a while. Beloved, that takes place not only in our Sundays as we worship, but in our everyday activity, every day of our lives. There is no God like unto our God. It's commanded of us that we worship him and him alone, that we fear him, that we submit to him, that we live for him. That brings me to my second point. That's the positive. And now the negative is brought forth, isn't it? What is forbidden? Idolatry. Idolatry. And there the catechism nicely defines that term for us. Idolatry is that instead of or besides that one true God who has manifested himself in his word to contrive or to have any other object in which men place their trust. That definition comes because God created us as dependent creatures. Someone that we can lean on, that we can trust in, that we can put our faith in. And idolatry is when fallen creatures substitute some person, some creature, or some object in the place of or besides next to our God. And when we talk about idolatry, then we can speak and distinguish between the cruder kind of idolatry and the more polished forms of it. You say, well, what are these cruder forms of idolatry? What well, was the heathen who made their idols of wood or of stone or of silver or of gold, and they would worship them? The psalmist demonstrated that, didn't he, in Psalm 115. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. And then he goes through the various parts of these man-made idols, whether wood or stone or gold. He goes through the various parts of their face and their hands and their feet. And they do absolutely nothing. We have to ask, 
Do I make those kind of idols? Do I trust in them? You see, it might be that we look down our noses at the heathen, perhaps in Africa or in Asia, who have these various idols, whether it be animism, whether it be Muslim faith, whether it be the Hindu or the Buddhist, many gods, nature god, god is somehow out there in nature, or whether you've got the new age movement of somehow tapping into the force that is in the world, or tapping into your spirit that dwells within you. Those are all cruder forms of idol worship. But let's talk about the polished forms. The materialism that we live in the midst of and we are tempted to buy into. The toys of this world becoming our main concern in life. How can I get more of these things? Think a moment of the fool in Jesus' parable. He knew there was a God in heaven, but oh, to get bigger and bigger barns to store all of his crops so that he could have a life of ease and prosperity, trusting in those things that he had gathered into the barns. Do we? Do we, instead of or besides the one true God, lust for nicer houses, faster cars, bigger and longer and more exotic vacations, a big savings account, perhaps a retirement fund, a stock portfolio? What does God's word say about that? Mammon? Ye cannot serve two masters, for either you will love the one or hate the other. Being led astray with that. What is your trust? What is your goal? What is your aim in life? Is it besides worship the one true God to have all the things that the world can give you? That is idolatry. What about science of this world? That science is somehow going to find the answers to all of our ills, the cures of our sicknesses. Yes, indeed, scientists have developed tremendously things, haven't they? They have woken up slumbering forces in the world that we didn't understand before, and now we understand better. But are you and I going to trust the scientists and what they say? When we have a loved one, what's the first thing we're going to do? A loved one who is sick. Is that we're going to get on our knees and pray to our God and then use the means that God has given? Or is our first thought, let him get to the doctor. The doctor will bring healing. The farmer who sows his seed in the field, is he going to look to all the expert knowledge of how to raise the best crops, or is he first of all going to look up to his God for the needed rain and sunshine for those crops to grow? 
or when you and I are determining our family size? Are we going to listen to science and technology? Or are we going to search out God's will? Are we going to say, science will help me keep my family small so that I can enjoy the things of the world more? Or are we going to look at the scriptures which say that children are a blessing of the Lord? Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Radio, technology, computers, wonderful, wonderful things. We're able to broadcast our worship services again this morning and tonight for those who are sick at home, cannot be here. But how those same things are employed in the service of the devil. So that the radio, perhaps, or the television is blaring all long day and we don't have any quiet time to meditate upon God's word. Or shall we, as we talk about idolatry, mention sports and the emphasis that we place upon recreation today, whether it be basketball, whether it be baseball, whether it be football, whether it be golf, whether it be tennis, are we living for our God or are we living really for sports and our own pleasures? That's the world we live in. They work hard during the week so that on the weekend they can give themselves to recreation and play. Or do we rest on the Sabbath day so that in the next coming week we're able to give ourselves and our labor to serve our God? And his Christ. Television. We can watch hours and hours of television or of games, sports, but we complain if the worship service goes a little bit long. All kinds of complaints. Do you find people complaining if the games go extra long, a couple extra innings, everything else is forgotten? Are we giving ourselves to the study of God's word? Shall I go on to mention more ungodliness, the fashions of the world, so that the ladies wear dresses where their front and their back are virtually completely exposed? Shall I talk about popularity? That that becomes a God to us? I want people to like me. Whereas we know from Scripture that those who serve the Lord faithfully, they will be despised and hated by the world, and they're going to suffer for Christ's sake. Idolatry. Let's examine ourselves. Because it's easy to look at the Old Testament idolatry that Israel fell into. And it's easy to look at the gods of wood stone that other nations might have in them. But we do we see our own deceptive hearts. Instead of or besides the one true God, we place other things. Catechism goes on. Idolatry, all forms of witchcraft are condemned 
looking for magic things. It is increasingly being practiced today. And the child of God has to avoid those kind of things. Looking at a Friday the 13th as being somehow bad. Looking to those who are trying to and reading their horoscopes in the newspapers. Seeking familiar spirits. Watching out that you don't step on cracks in the sidewalk. Avoid those things. The child of God looks solely to his God. Idolatry, witchcraft, all invocation of saints or of other creatures. And of course the catechism written at that time is condemning the practices of the Roman Catholic Church that are still practiced today. They have there a higher worship to God and a lower worship of the saints or of Mary. And that is a sin that continues still today. With all the ecumenical talk being going on of churches becoming one, are we willing to take away from the true worship of God and say yes we can join other churches that have the accursed mass or the prayers to Mary or to the saints. Idolatry, witchcraft, invocation of saints or creatures. You and I are called to renounce and forsake all creatures as God. Not trusting in them, not trusting in that bank account, not trusting in what we're going to do ourselves. Or as the scripture teaches us, man is a vain hope, a vain help. Recognize, beloved, that sin, how we in our pleasure, madness, materialistic world, all too easily will take the things of this world and place them instead of or besides trust in the one true God. That is what the Samaritans did, if you remember that history. The Samaritans were those who were brought from other nations to possess the land that the ten tribes had. They served their gods, but lions came out, and so false priests were put over them to teach them the true knowledge of God. And so those Samaritans, they tried to do both, didn't they? They served their own idols, but they also tried to serve Jehovah God. Throughout the history of the world, that fear, and we need to hear that this morning, because we too have sinfulness, sinful natures in us. The gods of this world look pleasurable to us. We want more and more of those things and we'll do anything to have them. We may use the things of this world, beloved, but we have to use those things for God's glory. We need to worship God as the maker of all these things. 
the first commandment. God and God alone in his son Jesus Christ. Know him, love him, trust in him, submit to him, live for him, avoid, put away the sinful nature that wants to grab other things and put them on the same level of our desires and our living for. Notice with me from God's word then, thirdly, what is involved in our obedience of this commandment? Well, first of all, let me begin with that we grow in our knowledge of God. I've already touched on that, haven't I? The more that we know the one true God, the more that we will love and serve him and glorify him, for he is so glorious. He is so powerful. He's so wonderful. And he's our God. He's the God who has chosen us, who has loved us and sent his son into this world for us and redeemed us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the God who leads and guides us by his spirit, by his word. And if we're going to gain in our knowledge, not content, sometimes, boys and girls, perhaps you go through school and you say, well, I don't have to know all those things. Just as long as I get a C or a B, that's good enough. And finally, when you get into high school, you say, Finally, I'm done studying. I don't have to study anymore. But we never, we never come to that in the spiritual growth of ourselves. But daily we need to grow in our understanding, grow in our love, grow in our trust, grow in our submission to our great God. Demanded is that we study his word. Do you have that time set aside in your daily lives for individual devotions and for family devotions? You take the time to read the passage of God's word and then meditate upon it. That is, fathers leading your whole family with you saying, now what does this mean? And what does it demand of us? How is this applicable to our lives as we go through the day? Do you have that private time? The elders on family visitation will ask that. They'll look around the house. Where is that Bible standing? Is there dust on it? Are you looking at the commentaries? Are you looking at devotionals? Are you trying to gain in your knowledge of your great God? Not only then in our private devotions, not only in our family devotions, but then also collectively as the people of God, attending the worship services. Attending the worship services Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Increasingly in the world, church world, we see churches going to just one worship service. Evening attendance less than the morning attendance. May that not, beloved, be said of us. But we want to know our God. We want to hear our God as he speaks through his word and reveals himself in all of his glorious attributes and works.
works. Are you taking that time, fathers and mothers, to teach your covenant children? Do you go over their catechism work with them during the week so that the children don't say, I didn't have time this week. I really didn't look at it this week. Fathers and mothers, are you making sure that the children and you with the children are studying God's word and explaining it? Because we want that word of God to dwell in us not meagerly, just to get by. But we want that word of God to dwell in us richly. Thou shalt worship only the one true God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, beloved, that means that we are driven, aren't we, to Calvary's cross. Don't we have to admit that the light in us is often a lot of darkness? How much darkness? Am I striving to know my God better and better? Having only a small beginning of that new obedience, are we fleeing to Christ Jesus for forgiveness of our sins and asking him, for a greater measure of his grace and his Holy Spirit. David says the sorrows will be multiplied that hasten after another God. Psalm 16, verse 14. What does this first commandment mean for you and I? It means, beloved, loving obedience. As I began the sermon with that line, I'm going to use it again. Is my life God-centered? Do I look to him alone in my struggles and temptations and trials in my life? For God has set a boundary for us. God says, here you will dwell in blessings as my people fenced in from the gods of this world, fenced in to the one true God, worshiping him and confessing him with lips and living lives for him. Acknowledging, confessing, submitting to God alone with confidence. We trust him for all things. God who governs over everything in his sovereignty. We look to him and we say, thy will is good, Lord. Cause me to walk in thy commandments. He governs us in all that we do, in our health, but also in our sickness, in prosperity, but also in adversity. We acknowledge that he is sovereign in our salvation. Not I have to do this or I have to do that to be saved. Not at all. But rather, I look to my God in his Christ alone for my salvation. And then I live my life in obedience as the fruit 
of that worship of my God. We do not say then, this is my money, and this is my marriage, and this is my time, but rather everything. Everything is God's good gifts to me. And he in his authority over us says, use those things for me and my service. Obeying his will as we go through the commandments. Not to be saved, but because we have been saved in gratitude, we want to live for him. Always there's going to be that inclination within us to rebel against God's will because of that sinful nature there. We're not always ready and willing to submit to his will for our lives. Many times we want to set our own standards for our morality, don't we? Boys and girls, young people, as we deal with one another, not what I feel like doing, but what does God want of me? God in his grace sets these boundaries for us as his redeemed people to enjoy him, to enjoy living a life for him. Boundaries. Again, that question, is your and my life truly God-centered? Do I look and acknowledge God in my daily struggles? Or am I trying to serve more than one God, also the pleasures of this world? Are my affections being divided between God and false idols? May we, in the way of sanctification, more and more and more forsake the things of this world, creatures, and seek to do God's will alone. Not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, but unto thy name give glory. Amen. Father in heaven, we're thankful for the cross of Calvary. For we fall short in our obedience. And we're thankful that Christ Jesus came into the world, was sent into the world to take away, to pay for those sins, to remove that guilt from us, and to take the punishment. And as those redeemed, we now, Father, want to dedicate our lives to our service of thee alone. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.